Welcome into the Illini Enquirer podcast. Jeremy Warner, Illini Enquirer publisher here with you. And today I'm just going to be here by myself. Got some things I want to talk about with you today, including towards the end of this podcast. We'll talk about a week that goes by where Illinois doesn't play football and it became more of a reality because Illinois was supposed to play this past weekend, whether it was the original schedule and uh, Illinois playing against a non-conference opponent or whether it was the briefly updated schedule that the Big Ten released a couple days before it shut down the fall season. Um, Illinois was supposed to play Ohio State, and I thought Pat Forty had a great piece uh, in Sports Illustrated about that, about Champagne and everything that's missing. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about just the day-to-day drama that at least exists on social media and, and media in general about the Big Ten and, and the path forward. I, I, I want to chat about that from a media perspective. Also, we'll chat a little bit about the alliance in the NFL uh, as the NFL season set to kick off we're, I'm recording this Tuesday September 8th uh, in just two days the NFL going to kick off and then over the weekend of course all the games so uh, there's some Illini to watch in the NFL we'll talk a little bit about that as well but uh, if you're an Illini Inquirer subscriber if you go to the site often you'll see that I've had a lot of uh, contents for the first time in a long time uh, with a different dateline and uh, if, if you don't know what that means the dateline is where the story is being filed from. And I'm one of those old school people that if I'm watching a game for Illinois, say Illinois basketball is playing at Rutgers, some outlets will still put Piscataway, New Jersey at the beginning of it because the event is taking place there. I'm kind of old school here that I don't put a dateline on my story uh, unless I'm in that place. So for the first time in a long time, I've had a dateline in a different state because this past week I traveled to Florida and uh, it's, it's been something I was thinking about for a while and something uh, I took very seriously given traveling during a pandemic, but uh, I was excited to get out and, and go to meet so many people that are going to be involved in the Illinois football program over the next four to five years. So I'll take you in a little bit. Uh, of course, this last six months, Part of my job as a reporter is to go places and take you where you cannot be as an Illini fan to get you the information uh, or set the scene or do my job of reporting, getting to know people, building relationships, seeing recruits out in St. Louis or in Chicago or Indianapolis or wherever the event is, or going to cover Illinois basketball games in the NCAA tournament, which I still have yet not, not, not done, or whether it's going to Illinois football games in whatever state it is, Connecticut like last year or Wisconsin or Ohio wherever it is. Uh, that's part of my job, and it's, it's part of the job I, I really, really enjoy. And, and, of course, over the last six months here, uh, I've tried to do my part as a citizen and as a responsible person to uh, do what I can not to help spread uh, this pandemic and, and this virus. Um, but over the, the last couple weeks and, and months, I, I'd been talking with my wife about, you know, I really think this is an opportunity um, because even though – I miss covering Illinois football and covering training camp. That's part of one of the parts of the job that I love the most is getting to see this team and explain it to you, whether it's the quarterback battle or the backup uh, left guard battle. Uh, I love getting to know those things and, and telling you about them. And I think we do a really good job of that. But also, outside of those really football-y things, is telling these players stories. We, we get to talk with these players and coaches every day for two weeks. Then we build up to a season, uh, which means a lot, obviously, for the program. Then you get these games where, where it's like the climax of a, mo- 
movie where you get these games uh, and you get to see these players either succeed or, or fail or these coaches succeed or fail. And last year was awesome, telling stories of success in the second half of the season. All that went along to, with that, all the work that went into that, all the um, emotions that went into that, whether it was seniors like Dele Harding, or Reggie Corbin, they've been waiting so long for that. Or whether it was guys like Josh Mettor Bebe and Brandon Peters finding an opportunity at Illinois and, and taking advantage of it. I, I love telling those stories and taking you along for the ride uh, and letting them express what uh, the, the players and, and coaches express how they feel along the way. It's, it's what the job is, is all about. Um, but without that, I thought, I need to go tell more stories. I, I need to get out there and, and use this um, as, as the time to go do something that maybe no one else is doing on my beats or or telling stories that people don't know and maybe I don't even know yet about some of these recruits. So with Illinois having seven commitments in Florida, I started going down um, the list of players, where they are and uh, where they live, where they play, and seeing if I could make a trip, a, a week-long trip, and see most of them. And I worked it out. Of course, I got two young kids at home and a wife, and I don't want her to go to go crazy with them. I want to be able to to do my job as a father. Um, I squeezed seeing in six of the seven Florida commits in five days. And uh, if you haven't been on the site here recently, I encourage you. If you're especially if you're a VIP member, you get access to all of this. But I thought I found really good stories uh, from all of these, and I can't thank the coaches, the players the parents enough uh, for setting this up. But before I get into that trip that took me from Jacksonville all the way down to, to Fort Myers, I do want to tell you guys, of course, traveling during a pandemic, I, I took very seriously. So I took every precaution I could. Uh, I flew Southwest, which is kind of my uh, airline that I, I go to all the time. And uh, they are very cautious about everything. They, they clean every flight, uh, require masks, and uh, they only allow two people uh, per row. And, and on the flights I was on going down to Florida, I was in my own row. And even on the way home, I was on my own row with nobody in front of me in the row and nobody behind me in the row. So I had a lot of space there. Uh, my wife packed a ridiculous amount of uh, hand sanitizer for the trip. So I always did that. And uh, I always made sure if I was in contact with anybody uh, outside my hotel room, I had a mask on. And uh, that was true when I was at practices. That was true when I was doing interviews. Uh, so I always made sure of that. And, um, you know, I barely went out of, of my hotel room or going to these games. So a lot of people thought I was going to Florida and have, have a great time and, and go to the beach and all that. Um, I went to a beach for about two hours and for most of it, I was just exercising, going on for a long walk and um, didn't really come into contact with anybody uh, during that. But I went out to eat twice, both times. I was outdoors, separated from a lot of people and uh, the people were serving me, wearing a mask, all that. So uh, I, I took every precaution available. And then, of course, when I came home, I uh, went down to Champaign and, and went to their great COVID testing site, got uh, tested and Man, when, when I got that call back, even though you feel like you did everything, you get a little nervous, nervous pit in your stomach. Uh, when the person on the other line said, test came back negative, I turned into uh, Jonah Hill uh, from Moneyball and just did that long, yes, fist pump. 
down, you know, that gif of Jonah in, uh, in, in Moneyball, yeah, with the Oakland Hayes hat on? That was me. That was me. Uh, but I felt good about it that uh, I did take the precautions necessary. But uh, that, that was a, a different experience, but uh, I was glad I was able to pull it off. And I know a lot of people are traveling and, and taking it seriously and finding a way to live with this and uh, live with their life, but uh, doing it responsibly. Uh, as for the people in Florida, I, I found that football teams did an unbelievable job. Uh, of taking the precautions and everything they're trying to do to make sure it's not spread. And one of the things the coaches said after every practice was, guys, you better enjoy this because this could be the only game. This this might be the only game we get to play. But that's why it's important that you might not like the things we have to do, whether it's wearing a mask when you're in a huddle after the game or you got different water bottles and you're six feet apart or you have to spread apart on the sidelines, uh, which was a, a task for the, the game I was at for some of these people. Um, they said, this is what we have to do if we want to play. And, and I think a lot of those football players took it uh, very, very seriously, and the coaches did a really good job of it. Uh, I found the northern half of the state to be pretty good at, at uh, doing what they needed to be, do. But I was down in Fort Myers for a little bit, and uh, some of the gas stations I stopped in down there, not many masked up people. Um, so hopefully not a big deal. Florida's numbers are, are coming down, but uh, I th- I've, I found that most people – are willing, even if they don't like it. Uh, in the airport, you have to. You don't have a choice. So those people, if you want to be able to travel, uh, you got to wear a mask. You got to do all those things. But uh, I found for the most part, uh, people were following. Of course, some people don't want to. Anyway, the actual trip, I thought was great. I, I love meeting these kids, um, and I found all of them to be enjoyable, and I found most of their stories uh, to be great. So I started in Jacksonville, and I met with Pat Bryant. And I got to tell you, as I've written all these stories, uh, six feature stories in the last week on all of these guys, uh, Patrick Bryant um, had one of the best stories. I really didn't have luck early on in this trip because Patrick Bryant's practice uh, was actually lightning doubt. They had lightning within 15 minutes. Uh, if, if you've been down in Florida, they have all these storms in the afternoon. And they had a storm basically every afternoon I was there. Uh, the next day when I was at Daniel Edwards, which is in Winter Park, which is close to Orlando, uh, it was rain. It was pouring for the last hour and a half of practice. Um, and, and Daniel actually pulled a hamstring midway through his drills. Um, so I wasn't able to watch much of him or Patrick Bryant whatsoever. Uh, but I did get to meet with those guys. And, and Patrick Bryant had a great story. Daniel Edwards, I found a fun story there. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of luck of seeing these players. I only got a short look at Dylan Rosiak. He was nursing a little bit of a shoulder injury. I felt like I was bad luck to these guys at first, but Dylan had suffered this before, uh, and they were just being a little cautious with him leading up to their game. Uh, and then I only met up with D.D. Um, Snyder and Joriel Washington. So I met up with them and their dads, which was great, and uh, that's what those stories were kind of focused on is those guys are all into football. Those are football families right there. Uh, but I did get to see a game of Trevor Moffitt. And uh, just from the two looks of I saw of Trevor Moffitt and Dylan Rosiak, I think they're very different kind of linebackers. Dylan Rosiak is 6'2", 220 pounds, just a big, put-together middle linebacker. Um, he is physical. He's got good speed, uh, but he's a big physical kid, really smart. Maybe not the quickest, but I do think he's got good speed for a middle linebacker. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy who can play pretty early in his career just due to his physical build and playing at a program like East Lake, which, of course, Jake Hansen is from. Um, and uh, he knows the, the Hansen family very well, which is what my story really focused on is, is how much he's gained from Jake watching his path to Illinois, 
how much he's learned from Lane, who's one of his best friends, grew up with, and how much Lane has pushed him in his career, or Shad Hansen, who is the Hansen's Jake Hansen's father, uh, who's always been kind of a coach slash you know mentor of his about playing linebacker. So uh, that was fun to meet up with him. But Dylan was when he was on the field in practice, he was dominant. Um, he was dominant, which you want to see at the high school level. As for Trevor Moffitt, he didn't rack up a, a, a huge game on Friday, and he, he told me he was disappointed in the way that he played. But I'll tell you, um, he needs to add strength. Uh, he needs you know, to refine his game a little bit. But he's gained 20 pounds of muscle, uh, so he's up to 6'1", 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, his dad, Ben, uh, was an all-Big East linebacker at USF. So the genetics obviously are there, and, and Trevor's gained a lot of strength. He's getting that man strength on him. But that speed is legit. Uh, off the edge, blitzing, and if you turn on his film on huddle, that plays. Um, he was great off the edge. Uh, I think he's got to clean up some things, tackling in space and things like that. But blitzing off the edge, that is an un uh, doubted skill and physical talent that he has the speed is registered at four five yeah it's 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 four five uh and he's got athleticism through the roof he's a long jump star he's a vertical jump is 37 inches all of that stuff is legit so he's going to take more time i think to make an impact but i think he can play on special teams early in his career because of his speed because of his physicality and i think getting a strength and conditioning program like illinois will only help him and uh i think he's he's got it he's got an upside i think rosiak has has the way higher floor uh but moffitt has an intriguing upside that i know illinois uh, is excited about and and Trevor told um, Trevor was playing with a heavy heart as well. His grandma, who basically raised him along with his mother Shauna, who I caught up with, uh, his mother or his grandmother passed away uh, from COVID nineteen in April, so it was early uh, in this pandemic. And um, she was one of his biggest fans, and he said his best friend. And uh, he's been playing for her, so he's he played with a little bit of a heavy heart. But uh, his team won forty nine to thirty. There's there's quarterback on the other side uh, from Wildwood in that game. It was a rivalry game. Uh, it's pretty talented. I know Georgia State uh, is looking at him, uh, but uh, Trevor made his life difficult with, with his blitzes off the edge. I, again, I think all these guys had great stories. There's all so many football backgrounds. Dd, his family. Uh, is a big athletic family. He's learned a lot from his father, who's the JV coach there. Dylan Rosiak, obviously his connections uh, to the Hanson family. Trevor Moffitt, his father, um, is obviously a great resource for him. His dad was much bigger player. He was 6'2", 220 as a freshman. Uh, <laughs> Trevor's high school coach told me he coached both those, those Moffitts. Um, and he was a middle linebacker, and Trevor's better athletically, but that's a great resource. And then the story I just put out today was about Joriel Washington and his father, who, who might have been the best of, of all of these dads that we're talking about, except for Josh Kruitz's dad. Um, Joriel, his father Richard, was a star at NC State. His first two years uh, had more than 800 receiving yards, was one of Philip Rivers' favorite targets during his final season at NC State. He was one of the top 50 recruits in the country in the class of 2002. Uh, but Richard didn't take care of everything off the field, and he got uh, dismissed from NC State. Uh, but he's used those experiences to try and help Joriel. And uh, Joriel's an infectious personality, and, and, and uh, Richard pushes him. There's no doubt about that. The same thing with Dee Dee and his dad, uh, Damon. Uh, both those dads push their sons, but they use their experiences uh, to help their sons kind of 
stay on the straight and narrow and understand what the process is and understand what you need to do to be successful. And, and both those kids were saying, you know, earlier on in my football careers, I could, I could understand, or I I couldn't understand what they were trying to do. And it was like, man, stop, stop being on me. But both those guys said now that they're seeing the light and they're committed to Illinois and they're seeing this process work and they're, they're improving and they get kind of a leg up on their competition. Um, they're seeing that their father's influence has, has obviously been helping them. And that sometimes maybe those things that they didn't love a couple of years ago, um, they've come to appreciate about their dads, you know, putting them on the right path, being hard on them and, and, and asking the, um, their sons to, to live up to their potential uh, and to work hard. So I thought that was really interesting. You obviously have that with a couple other kids in the class, two kids in state, Josh Kruitz, whose dad Owen obviously is an NFL grade, and Josh Geske, whose dad uh, Joel played at Nebraska. So it's interesting in a year of a pandemic where you're not able to go out and recruit and, and get to see these guys and get to know a little bit more about them. Um, you got these Zoom calls and all that, but not only do you have genetics with these guys' backgrounds that you can rely on and say, okay, we can project these guys, maybe because they're, they're DNA, they got the athletic DNA to succeed at this level, but you also know they have that influence behind them, right? That, that, that experience behind them that these guys, are. we can get the most out of them, or when they get here, we can rely on them to work hard and get the most out of them because their dads have been doing that or, or the Hansons uh, have been helping Rosiak do that um, throughout their lives. So I think that's an interesting dynamic. I don't know if it's what Illinois was definitely setting out to do was that, hey, we want guys with definite football backgrounds in this class, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a positive when you have more unknowns in this class than ever. Uh, as I started talking about a couple minutes ago, Patrick Bryant's story really stood out to me. I, I got to be honest, I didn't know exactly what I was going to get into with Patrick or what my angle was going to be. For some of these guys, I kind of knew uh, what the angle was going to be, especially with these guys with, with football fathers or backgrounds. Uh, but Patrick Bryant was talking about how football for him, it could be an escape from Jacksonville. And I had never been to Jacksonville before. Uh, it looked like a good city from everything I'd seen. And but it does have a pretty high murder rate and a pretty high crime rate. And I asked Patrick if he had any, you know, personal experience with that. And he started to show me two tattoos of two of his friends that, that had passed away. And um, if you read the story, I think it's it's obvious, like both these have happened in the last year, but it's obviously they've had a huge impact on Pat. And, and it's kind of only motivated him, you know, two people that he was close to in his life to, to pass away from, you know, senseless violence. Um, that's really inspired Pat even more so. And he's a really bright kid. He's a leader out there. I had a bunch of power five offers. If you don't know, Pat Bryant's a three-star receiver, higher three-star with the higher ranked kids in this class. Uh, but he's obviously very motivated, um, to, to get out and, uh, to have success elsewhere. And, uh, Patrick Bryant is going to enroll in January, uh, and he's going to have a chance to make an immediate impact at a position wide receiver that Illinois needs help. Dylan Rosiak plans on, on enrolling early at a linebacker position where they're going to lose a lot of talent over the next couple of years. Joriel Washington plans to enroll early. And I got to tell you, Illinois is really excited about Joriel Washington, 6'2", 180. They're going to put him in the middle of their defense. I think he can play free or strong safety, uh, but he's got a lot of athletic gifts, uh, plays really, really hard and is physical, uh, but also can play a little bit of center field there. But Illinois has no underclassmen safeties. And Joriel, this class is the definite one safety rather than corner uh, in this class. And he's going to enroll early. And I think that's a, that's a huge um, advantage for him to, to enroll early. 
Uh, also, Daniel Snyder, um, not Daniel, sorry, Daniel Edwards, excuse me. I had fun with his story because his nickname is Snook. And when you look at it, you, you want to say Snook. And for people who fish, they know the Snook is a, a fish. And it's really a game fish. It's a prized catch, which prized catch recruiting. Daniel Edwards, one of the highest ranked uh, kids in this class. I, I, I just looked up a little bit about Snook beforehand. Uh, and I was glad I did because it ends up a, a Snook is... Uh, a fish that's not the biggest, but it really fights hard when you try to catch it. So it, it's not the marlin you go after. Uh, but that's kind of Daniel Edwards. Some schools passed on him because he's not like six foot two or six foot one as a corner. Uh, but you turn on his film, and it's just a guy you know Kinoto Hudson's going to love because one, he's, he's a great speed, great speed, great foot speed, great quickness, turns his hips and runs. Those are things you look for in, in a corner. But even though he's probably 5'10", 5'11", um, he plays like he's 6'2", right? Like, he, he he fights hard, and he he loved that. Like, his mother didn't name him after the fish. She just liked the snook as a, as a pet name for her baby boy. Um, but it kind of worked out that he's kind of lived up to that. So maybe that's just narrative me, but uh, I think it's a very fitting nickname uh, for a kid who's a little bit undersized. People get upset when I say that when an average NFL corner is 5'11". Um, but from the ideal, that's maybe why Auburn or some of these SEC programs that were in on him didn't push as hard and why Illinois and Kenota Hudson, who's a a smaller guy, but is really tenacious. He really gets after it. I think that's why one of the reasons he really liked, um, why he really, really, really liked Daniel Edwards. So uh, I thought that was a fun story to tell as well. I hope everyone enjoyed um, me going out and getting these stories. I, I know for some people, basketball recruiting is the biggest thing, or with no football going on, they're they're not is is into football and everything. But uh, just getting to know these guys, uh, you feel a little bit better about what Illinois has coming into this class. And I can tell you that that down in Florida, Lovey Smith's name, Kinoto Hudson, and I'll throw in some staffers, Aaron Gonzalez, Brent Jackson, all those ties to Florida have really paid off. And, and one thing that came up in the conversation with, with Dee Dee Snyder and his father was uh, how Lovey and his staff handled everything with race relations that's going on in this country. To see that Lovey came out and spoke on Mike Tirico's radio show. I know he didn't speak right away or release a statement, but when he did speak, it was forceful. And that was heard down in Florida. Or when the Illini players organized this peaceful protest in support of Black Lives Matter, that was important. To, to some of these guys. Uh, and speaking with Shauna Jordan, uh, Trevor Moffitt's mother, you know, she just said when she got on a Zoom call with Lovey Smith, she barely knows anything about him. She's not that big into football, but when she spoke with him, it came with reverence. And that when he did say something, uh, it really mattered to her. So um, I know some people question Lovey Smith in recruiting and, and whether it plays with some people. Uh, but I can tell you, down, obviously, these kids have committed, so it did play with them. But uh, down talking with them, talking with the high school coaches, they really respect the heck out of him and, and how he handles his business. And uh, they like that it was more real with him rather than, you know, I know Andrew Hayes Stoker uh, was real with Patrick Bryant saying, yeah, your film's all right, but uh, you come here and we can make you better and we can we can grow you more than anybody. Um, and that stuck out with, with coaches, players, and staff down there. All right, when we come back, I want to take a quick break, talk about some other things. Um, what's going on with no football in Champaign? Pat Forty, a great piece in Sports Illustrated about that. Also, just from a media perspective, just the last couple weeks of day-to-day drama on either social media or in media reports and, and how I've kind of viewed those and, 
and why I think some of it might be a disservice uh, to, to some of you, the consumers and the football fans out there. Also, uh, we'll, we'll look at the Illini in the NFL because the NFL season is coming up and starting this week. We'll talk about that next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. All right, so I was down in Florida over the weekend as, you know, there were some good pieces uh, out there in the media this week that I didn't focus on because I was down in Florida. Uh, but Bob Osmussen did some good work from the News Gazette on uh, the people that are affected by not having football this year. And it's, it's something I've done with announcers or, or other people. And uh, I planned on doing something with Jane Deleuze of Visit Champaign County, just to the economic impact. But Pat Forty uh, did a great piece. National writer, some of you like him, some of you don't. Uh, but for Sports Illustrated, he's written for basically every big media outlet, ESPN, Yahoo, in the past. But uh, he came down to Champaign, talked to Josh Whitman, met with Jane Deleuze, um, also talked with Jason Reed, a former Atlanta kicker who manages cams. Um, and uh, he got a good real look at what it was like uh, on Thursday in Champaign when there was supposed to be the first Power 5 football game of the season, Uh, at least with the updated schedule that we got um, that was canceled just a few days later uh, after the Big Ten announced it. Uh, But Pat had a great piece, and I I think most people know Josh Whitman's thoughts on things. Um, Obviously, there are local businesses that are hurt, hotels, uh, bars, of course, but even Jane got into the ancillary businesses associated with that, the florist or um, you know those other port of Portageon companies that are impacted by all of this. And I don't think Big Ten presidents took this lightly. Obviously, athletic directors like Josh Whitman haven't. Josh has talked a lot, especially when it came to the hockey project, um, about just the impact it could have on Champaign-Urbana's community, civic pride, but also the economy, and just how big of a driver one Illinois football game or one Illinois basketball game can have on the local economy and everything. So uh, that was a great piece if you haven't yet look at it. Um, just gives you more perspective about, listen, Kevin Warren didn't create this situation. Um, so some of it, everyone seems to feel like Kevin Warren's the only one to blame for all of this. Well, the presidents and chancellors are reacting to a global pandemic. And while there are definite hypocrisies in there and bringing students back but not having football back and watching other conferences try to have football we'll see how that goes in in the coming month um it just everybody has been impacted by this pandemic and and we'll see how we can get out of this hopefully it bounces back but obviously there are going to be casualties not only health-wise but uh financially and economically that is just devastating it's just devastating no matter how you feel the big 10 or illinois should handle this as for me personally, I, I've had an interest in how the media handles all of this. And, and I got to be honest with you, you know, since the Big Ten canceled, obviously there are many questions. Uh, and as you learn more every day, you have more questions that need to be answered. And the Big Ten has not done a good job uh, in containing this or having a, a message or being transparent. And that's why they've gone into so many issues here. But I got to be honest, the day-to-day drama on Twitter or even just media reports about the Big Ten and when it's coming back or when it could come back, that drama that is out there is probably more interesting than the actual happenings going on. Because there are so many people, whether it's reporter for this site or reporter for that site or random guy in Ohio tweeting sources right 
I understand why people glom onto that. Because whenever somebody says, sources say, and hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm in the media. There is, there is a value in having anonymous sources. Uh, and because it, if it's backed up and you can prove it and you are 100% that it's accurate, um, that can be very valuable to your listeners. It can, and it could help um, spur action or it, it can just be more transparent and get facts out there in that way. So I can see the need for it. At the same time, I think some of this, when you're a consumer of media, I, I don't think we're the best. Let's just put it this way. Our country is the best in media literacy, especially now in the age of social media and 24-7 hour cable news. I know that's been around for a while, but uh, I think we, we all know it's been more partisan now and, and all of that. Uh, I just feel like we go seek out news we want and choose to believe it rather than try to be real critical of what we're seeing. And just as someone who's been in the media... I've tweeted about this, and maybe people don't care, but I hope you do. When you see a report, this is the first thing you should ask yourselves. Okay, what, what's the report and who's reporting it? Okay, how credible is that person that's reporting it? What outlet do they work for? Do they have a history of breaking news, and do they have a history of being accurate when it comes to breaking news? So when Woj tweets something out, you give it a lot of credibility, right? Because he's earned that credibility. You know he's plugged in. It's very rare that you see somebody say, hey, that Woj report is not true, right? He has earned that credibility. I think Pete Tamil is a college football reporter. Adam Schefter, right? Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan, some of the big names in this business. Um, there are big names in the college football world. I think Pat Forty is one we've talked about before. Um, you know the names. They're just people that you know when they report it, I should probably be paying attention to that. If it's not one of those people, then you got to ask yourself, okay, is, is there someone else reporting this? Who else? Can, can, I go, can I go get a second opinion? Or it's not a second opinion, but can I get a secondary source to back this up, what this first person is saying? And if not, you got to ask yourself, well, why would that be? Or when you see these reports, another thing you have to do is, Okay, if it's, it's, if it's one source, who would want this out there and why would they want this out there? And I think that's one of the problems we're having in the Big Ten right now is what I personally have done is I've looked toward the actual decision makers or people tied to them, which includes athletic directors and what they say on the record, right? But the actual decision makers are university presidents and chancellors. And this past week, as you've seen rumors, I'll just call them rumors, of the Big Ten having a revote that could start play on October 10th, you saw the Nebraska president, uh, the University of Nebraska Systems president, basically say there is no vote on Friday, which was supposed to be the vote. There was no vote. And there's no scheduled meeting of us going to revote on the potential return of the Big Ten. That doesn't mean the Big Ten eventually won't come back sooner than they will. But You've seen the actual decision makers say, no, that's not happening. The Big Ten itself, through a statement from Kevin Warren, said, we will not revisit this of coming back this fall. So based on those two things, I'm just going to doubt that October 10th is a restart date. Plus, I'm going to throw doubt that you can get started by October 10th. That's four weeks. And as Jake Hansen even tweeted, you need time to, to build up. And is four weeks enough? Maybe. 
Maybe they'd have to make that decision now. And again, there's been no vote. They'd have to do that today or tomorrow to, to get a game started by then. Plus, then you still got to have testing. Um, so while there's been improvements in testing, and we've seen that here at Illinois, and uh, we've seen another decision maker, and Larry Scott, kudos to him, who was one of the least popular Power 5 commissioners before the pandemic. Um, you're not seeing much criticism of Larry Scott in the Pac-12 through all this, right? And you are with the Big Ten. Because Larry Scott and the Pac-12 put all their medical information that they based their decision on, put it out there, and they got all their coaches basically on the same page, saying, hey, guys, this is our decision. We all need to be on board on this. I don't know if that conversation happened. But you haven't seen a lot of sourced reports coming out of, hey, there's a push by this coach or coaches in the Big Ten are pushing for this or they want football now. Like you've seen Mario Cristobal say it sucks that we're not playing football. Understandable. It does. It really does suck. Uh, there's no football in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. We'll see what these other conferences can do. But you're not seeing a lot of that. And you're seeing Larry Scott these past couple days out there, available to the media, answering questions from the media, and giving them actual answers to that. And the complications of it, of like how the state of California and Oregon, until they pat, like until they okay, we really don't have a path forward to football. You're not hearing those things from the Big Ten. So while legislators can come out today in Big Ten country and say, hey, we need to bring football back, or our parents and coaches and players can, can sit there, we need to bring football back, um, you're not hearing from, from the top very much. I mean, Chancellor Robert Jones is one of those. You haven't heard him really explain this in full detail. And Kevin Warren can release statements, but I think he can answer these questions a little bit more we can we can we can handle it and it's not gonna be a popular decision but we can handle it and it'll stop maybe some of these reports coming out of hey they're doing this or they're doing this and getting fans you the fans thinking that hey this could happen and that's on the media but it's also on the big 10 whether it's kevin warren or the university presidents and chancellors it's kind of nip that in the bud you don't have to answer to every report from random guy but I do think you got to get everybody on the same page, and they have not been able to do that. And it's just caused a lot of confusion, and I will say a lot of misinformation. I think us in the media have to clear that up as well. Um, now, you can't respond to every random tweet or every random rumor, but I just think it's left a lot of confusion out there. Listen, I think the best thing, based on what Larry Scott has said, based on what the Big Ten has said, is that November seems like a good target. That This could be a game changer, as Larry Scott said, that you can get testing up to speed to where you can have daily testing like Illinois has for every team in the conference. But they got to get going on that now. And I'm, maybe that's happening, but they got to get that together now. Contact tracing, they all got to get, get on the same page because that's a huge impediment because contact tracing in states is different. Uh, and that could really hurt you there. We've got to see where, where this goes and more research into myocarditis seems to be pointing towards, you know, it's a concern, but should it be as big of a concern? Um, I'm not sure, but I think all these reports have just caused confusion. That's both on the Big Ten and on us as the media. Um, I think the national media has done a pretty good job, actually, of, of reporting on this. But you're seeing a lot of localized reports, right? You're seeing a lot of local reports, especially it seems like out of Ohio, <laughs> 
Nebraska and Iowa that are really pushing for this to start. And they have agendas, right? And, and most of us have an agenda to get football back. And I want football back. I want football back as soon as safely possible. But I also want to be real with people. And I just feel like the real reality is probably what people don't want to hear, which is probably that the Big Ten is not going to be in the race for a college football playoff, if there is one. And understandably, Ohio State fans and maybe Penn State fans will be upset about this. But we are playing in a pandemic, right? And, and we'll see if we actually have a college football playoff or if the Big Ten can actually get caught up with these other conferences if they have to move games back uh, when it comes to January or whenever that shall be. But I, I, I think that November through January window actually looks really appealing. Like If we take away all the drama that has happened, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? for the Big Ten to play from November to January. And I know it doesn't line up with college football playoff, but really outside of Ohio State, who's really in that conversation? Maybe Penn State, right? And even Ohio State, they do that. You could beat, let's see, Oregon in the Rose Bowl in January and say a a one-loss Clemson team beats a one-loss Alabama team in the college football playoff. And Ohio State goes undefeated and beats a top five, top six Oregon team. Maybe a split a national championship. Listen, I, I guess these are these are problems that Ohio State thinks about. But for Illinois, you just want a season, right? And if that's playing games in Indianapolis and uh, playing games in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and these dome stadiums, and you're able to get eight to nine games in because you're not on uh, campus with all these other students because they're home for winter break, that might be the window that is most realistic because you're, you're seeing cases rise right now. And I think if we would have had Ohio State, Illinois in the schedule, I don't know, would they have played? How many players from Illinois or Ohio State would have been out? Because we did see a spike on Illinois' campus, and while we don't have numbers for Illinois football, um, I, I think we can think that, hey, probably some of them might have been out, and if they would have been in contact with other people, they would have been out too. So it's messy. It's messy. It didn't have to be this messy for the Big Ten, though. And uh, that's that's been the problem. And I think a lot of different agendas and a lot of different, I don't want to say poor reporting yet, but it seems like a lot of maybe premature reporting at times or speculative reporting um, has added to that drama, I, I think, a little bit unnecessarily. So get off my soapbox. But I, just when you see reports like that, just be skeptical. Just be skeptical and kind of go through that checklist I was talking about. Who's reporting it? Is anybody else reporting it? Why not? Um, how credible is that person? Um, what outlets do they look for? And if there is a sourced report that's different than everybody else, well, who could push this? Or where is it coming from? And who would they hear that from? And why would that person push it? I just think you got to think about all those things as we go through. All right. NFL season is kicking off before we get out of here on this podcast. The NFL season is kicking off this weekend. And uh, I was going through the Illini in the NFL, and uh, it's a smaller list than we've seen here recently because obviously Illinois has not had a lot of draft picks here in recent years. And on the rosters, the week one rosters are 10 players uh, at this point. And uh, that's not too big of a surprise because over the last, let's see here, since 2013, you've had five draft picks. Five draft picks in the NFL. All those guys are on NFL rosters. Nick Algretti on the Chiefs. Dewan Smoot with the Jaguars. He's got a huge opportunity this year. 
Jihad Ward is with the Baltimore Ravens. Ted Karras now with the Miami Dolphins. And Clayton Fedulum is with the uh, Miami Dolphins as well. Um, so all those guys have some big opportunities. But uh, other than that, there's there's five more Illini that are still in the NFL, including Whitney Merciless, who's probably the best uh, former Illini in the NFL, of course, with the Houston Texans, and he got a big contract extension in the offseason. And then Tavon Wilson, man, has had a great career. Um, he was with the Patriots, of course, the 48th overall pick in the 2012 NFL draft, spent uh, several years with the Detroit Lions, where he was a starter in most of the games with the Lions. Uh, and now he's a backup with the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, out of all the, the Zook guys, he's really carved out a really good career uh, for himself. So if you went through the Zook, Guys, I mean, Vontae Davis and Merciless, how many more had a better career than Tavon? Rashard Mendenhall, maybe? I mean, he obviously had some really good years there. Uh, uh-oh, had a really good career. Asamoa stuck around for a little bit. Martez Wilson played a couple years. Corey Legit had a better career. So, But Tavon would be top four, top five there. Jeff Allen had a good career. Tavon's lasted a little longer than that. Kim Spencer, good career. So Tavon's top five guy, though, of, of the Zuccarin. I don't know how many people uh, think about it when it comes to that in the NFL. Uh, also, a couple guys who have been undrafted free agents have, have stuck around, including my guy Justin Hardy uh, has carved out a great career. You're never too good for special teams, kids. Don't ever think that because Justin Hardy's carved out a really good career. I know he started his own business as well, uh, buying some pizza places. So uh, he's stuck around the NFL. He's with the Saints for another year. Uh, Delshawn Phillips making the Buffalo Bills roster. I got to say, it's not too surprising to me that Delshawn made an NFL roster because athletically, he was great. His pro day, he was fantastic. And he was very productive in his two years here at Illinois. Had a couple injuries. But he's very productive, 6'2", 230, ran a four, sub 4'6", 4, 40 here, had great testing numbers when it came to the broad jump and uh, uh, vertical jump. So uh, Delshawn getting his chance with the Buffalo Bills, and he'll play some special teams. He'll play some backup linebacker. But I know Bills people uh, thought that was a little bit of a surprise. And Malik Turner, um, who always athletically, physically looked apart, uh, he was actually cut in the offseason by the Seattle Seahawks where he found some success. And I know Pete Carroll was really happy about him. Uh, but he was cut by the Green Bay Packers wave, but immediately claimed by the Dallas Cowboys. I think only one of 17 players over the weekend that were claimed by a team. Uh, so I think Blake Turner is going to stick around in the NFL for a couple years. I was able to catch up with Malik, a Springfield kid. Um, it was the last event I covered before the pandemic. It was the Illinois Pro Day. And uh, he was just talking about how Illinois players, because of everything they've been through the last decade, they know how to fight. And uh, Malik Turner's obviously fought his way into a spot with the NFL. So great to see him, uh, Delshawn, catch on to rosters and all these other guys. Of course, two guys who are in the NFL, uh, Geronimo Allison and um, Matt Lacoste, two undrafted guys as well. Those guys both opted out of the season uh, due to personal reasons connected to COVID. So assuming we have a season, I think we'll see more players from Illinois in the NFL next season. I know some people have asked about Oluwole Batiku. He was cut by the Giants about a month ago. Uh, didn't latch onto a practice squad. Dele Harding, Reggie Corbin, those guys didn't either. It was a tough year to try to make the NFL, man. Uh, those training camp rosters were were smaller, and without preseason games, other teams didn't get a real good look at you. Um, and I think Harding athletically, Reggie Corbin athletically, didn't have the best 
uh, traits there. Obviously, Reggie can make people miss. Deli Harding had an unbelievable year last year for Illinois. Uh, but Patiku, a lot of people are going to second question that decision, and understandably so. He felt it was just time uh, for him to go, that injury-wise, production-wise, you know, would he risk more by not coming back for another year? And obviously he wouldn't be playing football games right now, but uh, he's currently not with an NFL team. So hope the best Oluwole Batiku. Uh, Illinois could have used him for whatever season they have coming up next, but uh, he decided to pursue an NFL career. And hopefully like some of these other guys, like Delshon, wasn't on a team last year, found a way to a practice squad. Uh, hopefully Oluwole Batiku can do that at some point. I don't know. We went kind of random there at the last, uh, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed my trip to Florida. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the coverage. And if you don't have VIP membership, we've got another great deal going on right now. Through Thursday, this Thursday, September 10th, for just $2. Or no, it's just $1. Misspoke there. Just $1 for the next two months of VIP membership. So all that stuff I got in Florida, all the recruiting stuff Derek Piper's got up, and he's got more coming on the way, more features on the Illini basketball team as well. I got more on football uh, coming up as well. That's just, I think, 1.6 cents per day for the next two months. So if you ever wanted to try us, just try us. Okay, what what is all the hub about? Or are they just blowing smoke up our butts about the coverage that they have or the content they have? Just try it out. $1 for the next two months. So if you've ever been thinking about it, just, just try us the next two months. Even though there's not games going on right now, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. So give us a try, $1 for the next two months. Just sign up for the monthly subscription, and you'll get that deal. All right, thanks for listening. As always, the Illini Inquirer podcast. Hopefully you all are doing well. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast. <laughs>